Fantastic job, Jared and the band. We thank you guys for that. We also thank you for the British spelling of the word Savior, which we have included in our understanding of songs. So if you have your <laughs> save the hour. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn those to the book of Joshua, chapter twenty three. As many of you engineers know that uh, Joshua 23 does not come after Joshua chapter 10, which we finished last week, but we find out some things over these next few chapters where we get to land in chapter 23 and 24 today with a bit of a layover, if you will. And we all know what those are since we just finished traveling. Uh, a layover in chapter 21. So, first thing first, Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45. You're very close to that if you're in chapter 23. Let's read through this together. 43 through 45. Thus... The Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all of their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all of their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. If we were going to summarize the book of Joshua in two words, those two words would be, God wins. He wins. This whole book is about how God has won this battle on behalf of these people. If we were to extrapolate that even more and consider what other words would come into play as we look at the book of Joshua, we would think through the idea of the covenant, of God's promise to this people, of the oath God had made to them that He would be for them, and how they had made a covenant to Him in response saying that they would be for him. How do covenants affect us? How have covenants and promises that you have made changed you? I was 28 years old when I met Hope. And we were a short time, but still months away from making a covenant with one another. That covenant has affected me greatly. That covenant has affected me because now I have four people in my home who uh, call me daddy and they look enough like me where I, could, I have to say and I agree with them that that's who I am. These four kids are uh, overwhelming at times. But before Hope and I made that covenant, that we would uh, be together forever, to have and to hold, richer or poorer, or poorer, that's where we land, or that we would be together forever, I lived in an apartment in a complex where a lot of little old ladies lived. It was me and the Golden Girls in this complex. My apartment was above my grandmother's apartment, which is to let you know, just clearly, for if you've not been with us before, I did not live with my grandmother as a 28-year-old man. However, uh, I did have an apartment near her because she had a washer and a dryer, and I did not. <laughs> At that time, in my apartment, 
before my covenant was made. There was a futon, and that was pretty much it. I had a really sweet TV and a futon, which is like if a couch gives up. I had a bed, but there was no frame for the bed. Everything changed with the covenant. The covenant of God with His people, the nation of Israel, it changes everything for them. His covenant is that He is going to be with them, that He is going to redirect them, that He is going to give them life and vitality, that He is going to give them direction. And that they, in response, will, will trust Him. Now we read 43 through 45, which is a summary of all that God has done. Verse 43 again, The Lord gave Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers. He has come through with His promise. For those of you who need to know what happens between chapter 10, which is the Sun Stand Still chapter that me and 17 people in this room dealt with last Sunday, and where we are today, here's what happens. The division of the land takes place. The division of the land of Israel takes up more Bible real estate than the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians combined and multiplied by two. That's algebra for you on a Thanksgiving weekend. And it lets us know that our God is concerned with details. If our God is concerned with the small details of biblical geography... What does that tell us about his concern with the small details of our lives? He's concerned about the little cares that keep you awake at night. He's concerned with your concern for your child and their sickness. God's concerned with your concern for the bills that you struggle to pay. God is concerned with the aspects of your marriage that make you tremble and struggle. God is consistently concerned. And if He cares about how we divide a land, He cares about what's happening with you. So from there, we go to chapter 23, where we look at the last words of Joshua. Last words are a very important thing for us as a, as a people, as a culture. There are some famous last words. They're famous because we know they are there. One of those famous last words from Beethoven on his deathbed said, Friends applaud, the comedy is finished. Winston Churchill, his famous last words were, I'm bored with it all. Da Vinci, who painted lots of stuff, like the Mona Lisa, who also fought alongside of Splinter. <laughs> said, I have offended God and mankind because of my work, because my work did not reach the quality it should have. On her deathbed, Harriet Tubman said, Swing low, sweet chariot. A popular last phrase from a movie that we can think about this week as we have released Apollo, or we have released the movie Creed 2, starring Michael B. Jordan, who has abs on top of abs and still is fighting. I don't know how the guy in Black Panther defeated him, but his father said right before he fought Drago in Rocky IV. 
too rocky. I want you to promise me you're not going to stop this fight no matter what. He reiterated, no matter what. Joshua chapter 23, the famous last words of Joshua, as we have mentioned before, Joshua did not write the book of Joshua because he dies in chapter 23. Spoiler. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and its heads and its judges and its officers, and he said, I am now old and well advanced in years. Just cut into the chase. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with, the remain, along with the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you he would do. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them, and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from this good land that the Lord your God has given. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he has commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly before from the good land that he has given you. Joshua chapter 23 verse 3 we see God speaking to these people and we, are, we have reiterated for us you have seen all the Lord your God has done to these nations for your sake. You have seen how God has worked and you have noticed that he's worked and we've been together as he has worked and I want you to have this as a point of reference something for you to refer to when you don't know what God will do next. And for us as a faith family, as people who come together corporately and as those who celebrate God personally, what has God done to show you that He is able to do what He's promising to do next? Are we people who are faithful to a God who has been consistently faithful to us? 
Do we see that no matter what we may face, our God is for us in the middle of it? What about the struggles? What about the hardships? In John Bunyan's A Pilgrim's Progress, it's about a pilgrim who is progressing. It's the first novel written in English. It's a Christian allegory about a man named Christian because evidently John Bunyan wasn't very creative. Christian is on his way from the city of destruction to the palace beautiful. And as he goes on the way, he comes upon a situation that any of us would struggle with. He comes upon two lions on the journey. And as he comes upon these lions on this journey, I'll just read to you. He went on his way. But while he was bewailing his unhappy miscarriage, he lifted up his eyes and behold, there was a very stately palace before him, the name of which was beautiful, and it stood by the highway side. So I saw in my dream that he made haste and went forward that if possible he might get lodging there. Now before he had gone there, he entered into a very narrow passage, which was about a a furlong off of the porter's house and looking very narrowly before him as he went he spied two lions in the way he spied with his little eyes two lions and when he notices those two lions those lions did in his heart what lions would do in any of our hearts and if lions don't cause things to happen in your heart I'm worried about your heart Now though he, I see the dangers that mistrust and timorous were driven back by. Because as he journeyed forward, he realized, he he came to this realization. The lions were chained and he had not noticed. Church family, our God has been faithful to us. He has been for us. He has walked alongside of us. He has been with us every step of the way. And for everything that is before us, yes, there may be dangerous things, but our God holds fast and firm to us and does not allow those things to take away from us what life is. Now here's what we see in this passage as we, as we continue to read through what's taking place with Joshua. You get to 23 verses 6 through 8. And what Joshua says is what I would encourage any one of us to do. Read your Bible every now and then. And by every now and then I mean daily. 6 through 8. Go there with me. Therefore be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Now as they have journeyed from chapter 10 to chapter 23 there have been moments where they have defeated enemies but they have not completely pushed the enemies out. They've allowed the enemies to stay. And by staying they did not become part of the nation of Israel like we see with the Gibeonites or like we have noticed with Rahab. They were simply remaining as they were. Because they failed to drive out these enemies, because they allowed these pockets of resistance to remain and grow, and in certain situations they would allow these things to flourish, the consequences were to remain with them for a long time. A bad dream that would haunt if things went poorly. The power of God working in us. 
is not an excuse for us not to work. But it is an exhortation and an encouragement for us as those who follow after Jesus to continue to work faithfully. The idea that we see is what Peter affirms in the book of 1 Peter. That we would roll up our sleeves or gird up our loins, preparing our hearts and minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. As Joshua looked at the nation of Israel in retrospect, he noticed that they had allowed these foreign realities to still be part of the land that they were occupying. Undealt with, there to rage and roar if the opportunity would arise. How much sin residue is present in the lives of believers? Because we allowed sin to be swept under a rug and did not deal with it. How much do we joke and laugh about the sins of our young adulthood? How much do we scoff at our sins now? Not realizing that those things will have implications in the future. That's why Timothy tells us in the first Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. He, he tells us to, in this passage to, to commit ourselves to the word of the Lord, to what the Lord would say to us. What does that commitment look like? How does it, what does it sound like? How does it feel? For many of us in modern Christianity, we have made the Bible nothing more than... A pill that we swallow to deal with the symptoms of our sin. We don't realize that it's the very nourishment of God that helps us to progress in the face of the cause of those symptoms. The Bible is much, much more than a book that we get out when things are bad. It is God's presence speaking to us as His people affirming what the Holy Spirit who resides in us is alive and active and showing us how he would have us to go. Verses 9 and 10, we, we see that God tells us to remember. Like You notice that in the text. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you. <laughs> Joshua says, you know how you've been winning these battles. You weren't really winning these battles. God was winning your battles. He was fighting your battles. God's never stopped fighting your battles, but you still work and you align your active energy with God's active fight. Are we aligning ourselves with what God does and how God does it? Are we saying to God, I want to walk alongside of, of you as you completely make this path possible for me? We see God calling us in verses 11 through 16 to reciprocate all that he's done in his love. To respond to him in a way that says that what he says and what he would have us to do matters. Again, reminding the nation of Israel as you walk through chapter 23 of the danger of intermarrying with people whose faith is different. 
allowing religious pluralism to reap its to rear its head in the midst of God's people. Go with me to 11 through 16. Be very careful therefore to love the Lord your God. What a strong statement. Be careful to love the Lord. It is acceptable in 2018 for people to claim a love for God that has been given no parameters by God. Of course you love that God. Because that God does not is not defined and is not revealed by him. That God is defined, revealed, and understood by your emotion. Would it hurt someone if I believed this? Would it cross someone if I thought that? So God is this touchy, feely God who is only concerned with how we feel about things. And we have taken no care to see what God would say to us to get us to a grasp of who He is. Be careful to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and you make marriage with them... Now this is not about the, the race as much as... This is about much more than that. This is about mingling of faith and allowing a separate faith to become part of the Jewish faith. This is about allowing something that does not belong to Christianity to be part of Christianity. If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, and you make marriages with them so that you associate with them, and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. We are seeing the people of God go into a situation where they will be tempted to allow faiths that are not theirs to begin to implement themselves into their faith. The word is similar to the word attach that we find in the book of Genesis. When we look in the book of Genesis, attach yourselves is the way that Genesis talks about marriage. Marriage, as we said earlier, it reorients your life. So what God is saying as he talks about the intermarrying of these faiths is this. By attaching yourselves to these foreign gods, reorient your life. It will redefine your life. It will rework the way that you see and that you understand God. Now, now it's not this marriage idea in particular. It's much broader than that. It's the idea that we as the people of God would allow from various aspects and various places thoughts and concepts that are unlike the God of the Bible to fuse themselves with our faith. By mingling with the Canaanites, the Israelites place Canaanite characteristics on their God. And those characteristics were not part of his character nor his nature. And by attaching those things to God, he ceases to be God. 
And it is very simple to look at this newly formed lowercase g God and realize that He is just a deified expression of yourself. And that is no different than most of us. Because if we are not careful, as Joshua, as the writer of Joshua says here, then the God that we worship is a deified expression of ourselves. And the worship of self is in complete contradiction to who God is. They've got history of this though. <laughs> Exodus, they've already dealt with this mingling of faiths. Moses is on the mountaintop. His brother Aaron's in charge, which is always bad. They were wondering where Moses was. We don't know where he's gone. So what we need you to do, Aaron, is we want you to make a god for us. So Aaron, the brother, received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. They're going to meet with God through something that is not God. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. But rose up to play is not like, hey, they rose up to play Monopoly. It means they rose up to indulge in revelry. At an experience that was supposed to be worship of the Most High God, they were doing anything but that. Do not be idolaters, some of them were. How much that is unlike God is fused with your expression of faith. God says reciprocate. Carefully think about what it means to love the Lord. Consider this strongly. Fine, we get to 24. Go with me to verses 14 through 15. You're familiar with these. Popular verses. As we look at them, I would also just like to point out there have been no words in today's passages that I have struggled to mispronounce. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The reminder is, for the people of Israel, that we have been created to serve the Lord. And that's a daily decision. The reminder for us is that we daily choose to serve the Lord. It's expressed in this way by Jesus. He says to us to 
Everyone who would come after me would take up his cross. And Luke uses the word that I always... He, he would take up his cross daily and he would follow me. That we would serve the Lord by taking up our cross daily to follow him. That means that we don't become part of this Christian faith by, by birthright. That we do not become part of what God is doing globally by attending services in places like this. Though I hope they're helpful. That we are not part of what God is doing by anything other than choosing the Lord because He's chosen us. That's what the Bible actually says. He's chosen you first. But you can respond to God's love for you daily by taking up your cross to show that Christ matters the most. We would take up our cross. We would follow Him. It's so easy to put that off. It's so easy to push that away. It's so simple for us to be people who are far from the Lord... Because we keep waiting for the right day to serve Him, though He has said, choose to serve me today. We, we put it off until the next big event happens. Uh, kids' lives are way easier than mine was. Um, for me, and for many of the adults in the room, uh, not all of us, if you wanted to get on the internet... You had to get into a car owned by an adult, not you, and go to someone else's house to use. For me, it was my uncle. He had a computer that, if it were this size today, I could run NASA from it. But it was just his personal computer. I would sit down and we would do this thing called dial up where this hamster and gerbil race inside. Now it's not like that. Every one of us can pull out our phone if you don't already have it out while you're checking Facebook while I preach. And you, I know you, I know how you work, man. We could go to the internet right now. Video games were different. There's a character who's still popular. I actually I received the Nintendo Classic the other day. Mario now, he runs galaxies and plays ping pong and drives go-karts. When I was a child, he was a humble plumber trying to make it. <laughs> he had a brother named Luigi who nobody ever played with. This is how bad video games were. They were in two dimensions and you fought mushrooms. You spent your whole game defeating mushrooms. If something had eyeballs, it was a bad guy. If you found a mushroom that did not have eyeballs and you ate it, it made you large, right? It made you big so you could fight the mushrooms that did have eyeballs. If you found a flower that was on fire, it gave you enough acid indigestion so that you could throw fireballs for the next 10 to 15 seconds. If you found a star that was flashing, you could run through the screen. Eight levels, four sub-levels. There's this character at the end of the fourth sub-level named Bowser. He's holding a princess who cannot keep herself out of trouble captive. Bowser looked like a turtle, a warthog, and a dragon had a baby. You would have to defeat him. Now, here's the thing. We're at our house, level six, where the bullets have eyes. 
Mom walks in and says, I'm going to the store. You've got to go with me. So we argue with her for a moment because we know we're going to be gone for a couple of hours. And then she said, but you know, I don't trust you. Basically, that's how it works. So we leave. You've got two options as a kid in that moment. Because no games had autosave. You guys don't realize how good you have it. You would either turn your Nintendo off and start over with your Nintendo Power Magazine trying to find the warp zones. Or you would spend the next two hours at the grocery store with your Nintendo left on pause. The problem with leaving a Nintendo on pause is pretty simple. The longer it's paused, the hotter it gets. By the time you would get back after a two-hour trip to the store, you could put turkey and cheese on two slices of bread, shove it inside and make a panini. It was a really warm machine. So if it gets that hot, there are two issues with your cartridge. That's right, I said cartridge. You could either... Take the cartridge out and then slam it back in. Does anybody remember that phase of fixing your Nintendo? If that did not work, you would take the cartridge out and you would salivate in it rapidly. Because spit fix stuff. All of this took place because something was left on pause that was not intended nor created to be left on pause. The reason that Scripture says to us, take up your cross daily... Choose this day who you will serve. The reason we have these consistent reminders from God who has faithfully chosen us that our choices are this consistent thing that we make is because if not, we as people of faith leave our lives on pause when they were never intended to be. I've worked with high school and middle schoolers a lot of my life. I, you meet a sixth grader. They gave their life to Jesus at vacation Bible school. But when they get to school, they look around and they notice that though all of the other kids who gave their lives to Jesus at VBS, when they put the popsicle sticks together and made a cross, that those same kids, though they claim to walk with Jesus, they've chosen to live their lives and their faith on pause. They decide, I'll wait to high school to live for Jesus because high school is when people make good decisions. They get to high school... They leave their faith on pause. It happens with college because there are numerous situations and numerous scenarios that would cause us to stay. I'm not going to live for the Lord in this. We continually put off living for Jesus. We continually put off faithfully living for Christ because for whatever reason, our situation and our scenario have deemed it acceptable. And for the follower of Jesus, there is nothing that we choose and nothing that we do apart from who Christ is that is acceptable. You follow Him this day. Choose Him this day. Walk with Him this day because He is faithful to you when nothing else is. Your mama's not faithful enough. Your dad's not faithful enough. Your neighbor's not faithful enough. Your dumb dog's not faithful enough. That cat certainly is not faithful enough. Nothing is faithful to us apart from who God is. And everything else is butter on top. How much will we respond to this faithful God? Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Him by loving Him. And we will love Him by carefully observing all of the things that He's commanded. All of this works together. 
And when we begin to separate it, we become slaves. When we begin to pull it apart, we become false, we become idolaters. Serving because we love and understanding love because of what he said. God has a design for this. How will we respond to that design? Faithful God in a fallen world. This world will not correct itself apart from God working in it. But as we faithfully serve and choose Him, we can be pictures and of light in darkness, of hope in despair. The people of God, empowered by God for the purposes of God. Choose who you'll serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I hope I can say that. I hope I choose to say that tomorrow. hope you do too. Should you bow your heads with me this morning? Look, the band's going to come up. And I, I know this. There are some of you in here who don't know who Jesus is. It's kind of a myth of your own creation at best. And that thing that you create, it, it does not save. It will not. It never will. Our understanding of who God is comes from what God has said to us in His Word. Our life from that comes as His Spirit dwells in us as His people. If you are here and you've never placed your faith in Christ, then your eternity is... in question but you're right now right now has no direction and God would offer you hope through his son you would trust him because he has loved you he loves us place our faith in him because he cares for us and we would realize that when Christ tells us to take up our cross that can only have significance because he's already taken up his. So if you're here and you've never believed in Jesus, I want you to know he's, he is hope alone. He alone is hope. And it's simply saying, Jesus, I need you because I can't deal with my sin myself. So I'm going to trust you. I want to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. If you want to talk about that, I'm in the back corner of this room on my left hand side I'd love to chat with you about what it means for you to place your faith in Jesus and to look at his word and see what he has said to us carefully about loving and serving the Lord because he has loved and served us first it starts with Christ but I know most of your faces and I know I spend time with lots of you and many of you have a relationship with Jesus. And I would encourage you to allow this passage to speak to your situation right now. Whatever difficulty you may be facing, whatever struggle is in your path, and you, whatever lion standing on each side, chained up by God, that you're just not noticing the chain because their teeth are so big. Let's say to you, hold firm. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Choose it. Choose Him. Choose Him. And if you're in a situation where you can speak leadership and guidance, if you would say to that, 
We're going to serve the Lord. Because Christ has served us first. I'm in the back corner if you need me for anything. Love y'all more than you know.